0: four three two one you're listening to racing world brought to you by perspective group it's your motorsport podcast show in conjunction with race control magazine
1: well welcome to this edition of racing world and today i'm joined by two guests that's right one two and uh, it's Mark Fogarty from Australia, Auto Action, editor in chief there. We're going to talk all about V8 supercars. And as always, Bob McMurray will join us and give us his opinion on things as well. So let's get right into it now. I joined these boys just moments ago on Zoom. Well, joining me now, are my two mates. I've got one down the road here in Auckland, Bob McMurray, and across the Tasman, Mark Fogarty. Thanks so much, Mark, for joining us. This show today is really your show. That's right, it's your show. And it's all about V8 supercar. And Bob, you'll just give us your opinions on everything that you always give us your opinions on. So first of all, folks, state of the V8s. Um, It's all getting compressed to Sydney Motorsport Park, really, isn't it?
0: Yes, well, welcome to the lockdown world champion. (laughs) Melbourne is officially now the most locked down city in the world since we've had the pandemic. So all getting a bit tedious, but it is what it is. And we, we bat on. It's difficult for everyone, and particularly, as you mentioned, supercars. If we thought last year was difficult in scheduling and rescheduling and trying to fit the season in, well, it's become more of a nightmare. So we're now down to those final five events for the season will be compressed into about basically seven weeks from the end of October to the beginning of December. And that will of course relies on New South Wales opening up to some extent, and Sydney, and allowing events to go on because four of those last five events are going to be Sydney Motorsport Park. And then the big finale will, of course, be the Bathurst 1000 on the first weekend of December, um, the latest it's ever been held.
2: Folks, I've just got to, got to say I mean, possibly the V8, the Australia Supercar Series. uh, has more changes and challenges than probably any other series I can think of in the world at the moment. The Headline Act left. Um, Other people are possibly retiring or or whatever. Um, You've got Neil Crompton, you know, a a TV person indisposed. You've got um, a new Gen 3 car coming. You've got driver changes. You've got team changes, Kelly Grove, et cetera, et cetera, TA. You've got engine regulation changes. You've got series ownership battle going on. You've got TV broadcast changes happening. And then along came COVID. Do you think this whole, the whole, is is taking away a huge amount of public interest in the supercars simply because they're not seeing it? I mean, the, the, the series is bad enough most of the time with long gaps in between, but it's kind of out of the public perspective now and there's a whole lot of issues going on around the series, within the series itself.
0: Indeed, Bob, it's a... A bad time for all this to come along, to say the least. <laughs> None of it's good. But yes, it's a period of great change for supercars. And you're right, it has always had a problem that it comes and goes and disappears for a while. Well, now it's just disappeared off the map. And again, like last year, it's interesting. On the evening television news throughout the pandemic, there's constant stories and updates and speculation about, you know, how the various footy seasons are gonna cope with it and how they're gonna get through it. It's, a, it's just a, almost a nightly update on it. And of course, you know, the supposedly third or fourth biggest national sport in the country, supercars on those national news bulletins. What do you hear about, you know, how it's coping with the whole crisis? Uh, virtually nothing. Yeah, it is essentially, as far as the mainstream media is concerned, as usual, unfortunately, invisible which is sort of ironic in a way because there is so much happening, as you said. There's the program ongoing and ongoing and ongoing to get the Gen 3 car, the next generation cars going. The aim is still mid next season. I'm not sure if that's doable or even desirable. Um, And the other big thing is the change of ownership. Um, Within weeks, I would imagine a new group, a consortium, well, a combined bid by uh, a big sports management agency over here called TLA, and it's international owners, I guess, if you like to call it, and the Australian Racing Group, they've got together, and they're the final and only bidders left uh, for supercars, and, you know, certainly, I would imagine, by the time we get to Bathurst, if not much sooner, um, we'll hear the details of the new ownership and the people who are going to run the sport from next year on, let's say, uh, will outline their vision. Among those visions could be, that they will, well, at least delay Gen 3's introduction until until 2023, which pretty much everyone thinks is the most sensible way to go. Um, Gen 3, of course, you guys know, but if you don't, Gen 3 are the major, major upgrade of the supercar platform, the chassis, the bodywork, and based on two models, um, you know, a proper looking Ford Mustang, not some sort of, you know, mutant Mustang as it's been for the last few years, And joining in the series or rejoining the series after 50 odd years uh, will be the Chevy Camaro, replacing the Holden Commodore. And when I say Ford Mustang and Chevy Camaro, of course, I'm being a bit loose with the facts The (laughs) cars look like they're road going brethren, but underneath they're nothing like it. And as I think you also mentioned, yes, there'll be new engines, the uh, tried and true um, pretty much bespoke five litre V8s we've been running now for what, 30 years? at least um will be replaced by well production based engines you know we've called them crate engines they're not really off the shelf but they're closer to production than before and it'll be a 5.4 litre uh, engine in the mustang and a 5.7 litre v8 in the camaro
2: strikes me as the parody is going to be difficult to uh, to get right but i'm sure adrian burgess and His boys will eventually come to something that everybody agrees on. But, I mean, there are so many majorly important issues that you talked about there. The first one, of course, is the ownership. The ownership change was kind of forced because one party wanted to sell and lots of other people wanted to buy. But is that a good thing for supercars? Would it be a good direction to go with the the current, um, I think, the last people involved in the bidding process, TLA? Is that a good thing?
0: I imagine that the new ownership will be better than the existing structure. The new owners will be more interested and more invested. Uh, TLA brings to the party a lot of um, event management and sports marketing expertise and Australian Racing Group, which run, let's say, the national level or the second tier of the sport. Um, Well, sort of event management, but, you know, they've got skills in in running different categories and and different level race meetings. And so they certainly bring a big support package to the supercars. So you can see the sense in it. And, you know, we're talking, we're talking probably, this is a 90, 80 to $90 million deal. Now it won't all be cash. Um, The new group is buying out the teams as well as Archer. So Archer Capital Um, owns roughly speaking 65 or controls 65%. The other 35% is controlled by the teams as a group. Each team has a shareholding. My understanding is that the teams won't be bought out in a lump sum. I've been hearing that they'll get $450,000 a year for five years minimum to basically buy out their share. And then there'll be other incentives and other income streams, Um, that will probably mean they'll get back to the glory days that each racing entitlement contract, each entry, if you like, um, will be bringing in 700 to $800,000 a year. That's on top of any income the team themselves generate. So um, the teams think it's a good deal. They had to approve it for, for the wholesale to go ahead. And so I don't know, I would imagine that the uh, the new owners TLA slash ARG are probably, uh, let's say it, you know, they're at least spending up to $60 million to buy the sport. So they've obviously got confidence that they can make money out of it and, and grow it. Yeah. They better I, have, because otherwise they're down the tubes for a lot of money, aren't they?
1: <laughs> Mark, a question I've got really uh, when we look at it, and obviously, Beth has been as late as it potentially is going to be as one thing, but the four events at Sydney Motorsport Park really is all that proving is uh, fulfilling sponsorship agreements and things because four races at the same place, is kind of a little bit of a letdown in many ways. I know the restrictions, but it does, it's really just fulfilling contracts, isn't it? Um,
0: Well, I guess it's the simple answer. Yeah. Broadcast contract particularly stipulates 12 events minimum. They've done seven events. They need to do another five. So um, needs must. You know, it is unusual. I, I think unprecedented. I can't think of a series anywhere, anytime, ever, that's run four rounds at the same venue um, consecutively. Can You know, Bob, can you think, David? I No. no know, I, um, I, I, I know I, things like I, America's I, Cup or, you know, race yeah. on the same course over and over, but... In motor racing, it's I, I can't think.
1: Yeah, yeah. it even seems even to be- With, with the yachting, there's be, so many uh, variables that come into play anyway. So <laughs> even then you still have five course options generally. So mm. no, I don't think there's been anything like it that I can think of, eh, Bob?
2: It, no, it does seem to be a desperation move, but it's a desperation move driven by desperation and simple survival. And I can understand them doing it if that's the only, um, venue available to do at least they are making the change with a night race with um various distance races there's a 500 they're they're trying to change up the tire allocation they're trying to change i hear the track um uh, um track direction or the track layout and stuff like that so they are making efforts of course but it, it must be driven by desperation but i i also want to go on to the engine thing if the engines are becoming we'll say crate engines i know what you mean um, is 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 the series now in danger of becoming like a NASCAR one make series? Simple as that. I know it was very close to that before, but is it now in danger of literally being a one make series with a different body on it?
0: Um, almost. I think that's true, but it's been heading in that direction, like yeah. many categories of motor racing, for many years. Um, you're right, pretty much underneath the body um, panels, uh, chassis-wise, anyway, the car's... be essentially identical and there'll be a lot more control components in gen three than there is existing um almost all the freedoms like you know at the moment the big freedom for last several years has been the front uprights of the suspension and uh which triple eight has had a particular expertise in Uh, that will now become a control item just as the rear suspension uprights have been a control item for some time so um it's all about you know well they say reducing costs you know how it goes in motor racing never reduce costs contain costs maybe but it's to try and put a cap on the extraordinary expense of going supercar racing that's been building 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 for at least 20 years you know you've got engines now that um, cost certainly over $100,000 maybe up to $150,000 to build then you know 40 odd thousand to rebuild and that can be every 4,000 kilometers. Now they're looking at, you know, the engines being around 60, maybe $70,000 to build, much cheaper, I'm not sure exactly, but much cheaper to, you know, rebuild or overhaul and that they'll last 10,000 kilometers, you know, so two and a half times what they do at the moment. Um, and lots of other, you know, it's the control components and they're all, there are tenders out for all of those and the aim is to make them cheaper. How much cheaper? Of course, we'll see in the end when the cars are finally built and on the track. You know, cost saving or cost containment was the big mantra of car of the future when it was introduced in 2013. It was a spectacular failure. Cars <laughs> have never been more expensive.
1: Um, looking at the other thing, folks, you know, Bathurst being run in December. We've, as you said, we've never had it that late ever. The the factor that comes to mind to me straight away is that that part of the country by December should be a lot hotter than what it normally is in, say, October. Um, Do you feel that that's gonna play a part in the race, both driver fatigue and car fatigue?
0: You'd think so, wouldn't you? I mean, those things are like ovens on wheels on a good day. So imagine if it, and it quite conceivably can, you know, at that time of year, up into the 30s at least, you know, I mean, it can also be freezing cold, uh, (laughs) you never know, but broadly speaking, it's going to be very hot. So inside the cars, you know, you're you're gonna be looking at 50 to 60 degrees Celsius, you know, potentially, and that is energy sapping, particularly as, you know, there is no air conditioning in the cars as such, unlike GTs or prototype racing. The cool suits, well, they're just as likely to fail as they are to work, you know, toss a coin uh most inconsistent things ever so yeah it 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 conceivably will turn into a battle of the the fittest as well as the fastest and fittest literally for a change so um it it could make it interesting yeah yeah more 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 interesting (laughs) it's always interesting about
2: we are we are supporters i i sound like i'm having a go at supercars all the time i'm not it's because i've got one of these you know, anybody with one of these can criticise like crazy um, whatever they're not involved in. So I'm Go very good at that, criticising from afar. But I'm actually full of hope for supercars and and really looking forward to supercars with the new cars. Be they the same car with a different badge, I care. Um, because there are some exciting drivers coming through. There are some very exciting young drivers coming through. The youngest of which, in terms of of newness, is uh, Matthew Payne, which I'm, I'm staggered that he's his uh, career rise has, has taken the steps it has, but it is it is an exciting prospect. When all this is done, said, done and dusted and COVID is contained or whatever they're gonna do, it, there's a very attractive prospect coming up,
0: isn't there? Potentially?
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: very, it, it looks exciting. And as you mentioned on the driver front, um, a lot of young talent like Matthew Payne, and Brock Feeney uh, coming in, change, uh, a bit of a changing of the guard was Jamie Wincup retiring from f- full time racing at the end of this season and taking up the lead management role at Triple Eight, and um, you know other guys are going to get a more of a chance to shine hopefully like Andre Heimgartner, but sitting way at the top <laughs> of the pile at the moment is still and and still will be for a few a good few years yet is Shane Van Gisbergen. Um, who pretty much, I think, is in a class of his own, certainly this year, without, you know, take Scott McLaughlin away and, you know, what was a tremendous two-horse battle is now just a one-horse runaway. Um, but the young blokes will be chasing him hard, just as he did 10 years ago.
1: We really haven't seen the depth and the um, the... Former Penske Dick Johnson cars, call them whatever you like. Since McLaughlin left and, and Fabian left as well, you know, the, the current drivers haven't really delivered to the same level that those previous two have, have they?
0: No, they haven't. They are getting, they have been getting better. Um, they're learning their new environment. Um, well, that's what the team say. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think if a driver is good, they get in, and if they've got the weaponry, they take off, you know, particularly. Anton Di Pasquale, who was tipped as one of the next superstars and a natural replacement for McLaughlin. Will Davison, you know, is doing as well, at least, if not better, than you'd expect, you know, as a a veteran. But the team does seem to, overall, have lost their edge somewhere. Now, they were showing signs of improving. And I suspect that when we resume, they will be stronger. But they've lost the race to Triple Eight this year, flat out.
1: How, how do you how do you feel about uh, his rookie of the year title in IndyCar?
0: Oh, excellent. Mm. Mm. Um, it, well, yes, he, he did well for his first season, but let's not get too excited. And I don't mean this negatively, but um, yes, it he performed how you would expect, particularly with his lack of open wheeler experience, and given that he's in a good team. But I do not Not to take away from the Rookie of the Year accolade, because he was, but it was a strange field, wasn't it? You know, the, the, the other contenders were Romain Grosjean, who, who didn't do all the ovals for a start. So one hand behind it, tied behind his back in terms of winning the Rookie Award. And, and Jimmy Johnson, who, you know, he's going the other way, you know, a, A sedan racer, Uh, uh, not the other way. Well, sort of the other way, if you know what I mean. Anyway, anyway. so it's a strange rookie field, if you get what I mean. But um, that aside, generally speaking, yes, you've got to give Scott, you know, big credit um, for a very difficult transition. And with this season under his belt, I would expect for next year that he, he will start becoming a contender, you know. I mean, he's obviously got the talent. I mean, it's quite extraordinary what he's done—is to jump from dominating, you know, big, heavy V8-powered road racing sedans, you know, into comparatively speaking, lithe, open wheelers on a on a very diverse um, set of circuits. You know, street courses, road courses, ovals, super speedways, all that sort of stuff. Um, You know, let's say it's remarkable. Yes.
2: Folks, with your your, um, your current occupation and your writing for Auto Action, you're incredibly close. In fact, probably one of the closest journalists there is to the, in, the inner sanctum and the inner workings of the supercars. What actually gives you cause for hope and pleasure coming up with supercars? What are you looking forward to most? What's the most exciting thing about the whole thing of supercars in the future, 22 or whatever?
0: I'm hoping for much stronger and more creative leadership of supercars itself under the new owners. I expect a big shake up in top management and I'm expecting that there will be a a new vision that puts supercars back on the map, if you like, in, in terms of, you know, the broad public view, you know, so that supercars gets high visibility throughout the whole year, not just at Bathurst. You know, Bathurst is easy. You know, everyone in Australia turns their attention to Bathurst, to Bathurst 1000, whenever it's on. So, you know, we've got, we've got to go back to the past, back to the future, sorry, back to the future and leverage, re-leverage Bathurst, um, you know. And, and do you... to fuel interest... You,
2: in the rest do of the you, series uh, for the
0: rest of the year and, and, and get a much better space calendar.
2: Uh, do you expect, would you prefer, would you look forward to um, supercars going overseas, more overseas races, any overseas races, if you include New Zealand, as being essentially a domestic one. Um, would you think supercars should um, try their luck overseas again?
0: No, not for some years. yeah i agree. think we've got to batten down the hatches here and get the house in order in Australasia you know new zealand is a very important part of supercars you know <laughs> a di- disproportionately large amount of interest if you like given the, you know the, the population over there so yeah. we should be looking at at least two events a year in new zealand at least because i think well two is a simple sum isn't it one on the north island one on the south island but I would have thought in between there's probably scope, maybe somewhere for a third event. I, you know, you guys would have a better gauge on it, but my feeling always is that there's more interest in supercars there than is being catered for, particularly with the number of New Zealand, of Kiwi drivers. I mean, a no brainer, but outside of that, all that the overseas forays that, we've, that supercars had before, um they did actually make the money funnily enough but none of them survived you know they weren't sustainable and they were good for the ego they were fun you know like for a journalist or the media to go and follow going to some of the places like circuit of the americas was great fun but did it really add anything any value to supercars itself certainly not back in australia you know international visibility and getting people like roger penske involved there, there may have been a benefit. But for the moment, um, I think they've got enough on their hands just to get this show back on the road, literally, in Australia. And once things, circumstances change in that we pass through this pandemic phase, that they then work out a calendar that is properly spaced and properly located. And so we don't get these great gaps in between events. And if that means perhaps shortening, shortening the season so that we can go racing every two weeks, um, and with sometimes racing on consecutive weeks to maintain visibility, that, to me, will be a great step forward. So the keys to the future, obviously, new ownership and the success of Gen 3, which, you know, f- for all the debate and perhaps controversy over its introduction, at the end of the day, they still will be fast, loud, uh, muscular V8 Turing cars. And that's what supercars is all about. So we're, we're retaining that DNA and that's important.
2: And I think, um, oh, sorry, find well, Final question for me, DT, sorry. Man. I know you're, we're running out of time and I've got 10 other questions to ask as well, but I won't. Um, folks, do you see it, if you're talking about somehow adjusting the series, shortening it or whatever, do you see it staying as a winter-based series or going to a summer-based series or trying to transition between the two?
0: Good question. Good question. Long, One of long debate. Um, I hope the new ownership will look at it. Uh, uh, and to be fair, the current management under Sean Seamer were looking at at least splitting up the series and making it more summer-based or spring-autumn-based than, than winter, but got derailed uh, comprehensively. There's a lot of resistance to summer racing over in Australia. Here in Australia, I don't know why. It makes obvious sense, you know. Some people put up the, the well, the barrier being, oh no, it'll be too hot. Yeah. Well, if you if you tried racing in Idaho in in August or something, you know, really, in you know, NASCAR and IndyCar seem to cope, and the rest of the world cope with racing um, in the hottest months of the year. Um, and you know, okay, a bit. The climate's a little different. In New Zealand, but still, you guys forever have, have had summer summer racing, and it seems to work perfectly well. Whereas here, as you're alluding to, we just keep banging our head against the winter brick wall, and you know, up against the two strongest football codes and the two biggest sporting codes in the country. I, it it makes no sense. We we have we have to change now, whether it is going to a full summer series or you know September to April, something or or we look at maybe, you know, front and back loading it. So most of the racing in, let's just say, you know, January, February, March, and then have a layoff until let's say September or something. But you know, that, that gets you away from the, you know, the the footy season and frees up, you know, it's better for the broadcasters. And, but the problem isn't you've got a gap of some months in between when again, there's nothing happened. So happening. So, you know, racing in in winter, particularly if you're up in Darwin or Townsville, up in the north of the country, that suddenly makes eminent sense. So there is no easy solution, but there's got to be a way forward that we at least mix and match and and do something different, I think. yeah, Do something different is what I'm saying is, is what has to happen.
1: Yep. Well, gentlemen, I hate to say it, but we're running out of time. Folks, we could go on and solve a lot of issues with supercar, a lot of issues with every form of motorsport we could possibly think of. I thank you so much for your time. We love the publication. Auto Action, everyone, if you haven't seen it, you need to go online, subscribe to this. It's a great publication. This man knows what he's writing about as well. Bob, uh, we'll return with uh, Formula One again shortly as well. I'm ready for another feisty debate with you because... I've got my windy car now until March, but gentlemen, thanks so much for your time today on Racing World, and I look forward to doing it again with you very soon.